Well, welcome to episode eight of The Afterward, our series of conversations on books, reading, and the church. Tonight, we have a special Christmas episode for you with David Mathis, who's the executive editor at Desiring God. He's also the author of The Christmas We Didn't Expect, Daily Devotions for Advent that, that just released. By way of introduction to this episode, I wanted to read you a brief note from Kyle Whitgrove, who's our customer experience manager. You might have uh, talked with Kyle over the phone or maybe seen him at a recent conference, uh, but Kyle wrote this note uh, to introduce a, a Christmas outreach uh, promotion that we recently put together. I thought it was just really captured well, um, this COVID Christmas that, that we're all experiencing. So let me read it to you now. Kyle says, Over the weekend, my wife and I looked out the window to find our neighbors putting out Christmas lights and reindeer in shorts and t-shirts as unseasonably warm temperatures came through Philadelphia. As strict no Christmas until after Thanksgiving people, we would normally say something to each other about how this is way too early for Christmas decorations. But this year felt different. 2020 has been hard, and people are looking for something to look forward to. They are looking for light in the darkness. And while we're now glad that our neighbors have started decorating, it's a clear reminder to me that what is needed this year and every year is not just a few electric lights, but the brilliant light of the Savior of the world. This year, we've put together some of our favorite resources for sharing the light of Christ with a world in darkness. We hope these resources encourage and equip you to share the true hope of Christmas with your friends, family, neighbors, church visitors, and more. And uh, yeah, I, I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to already, hop on over to our website at wtsbooks.com. And there you can find a lot of really great and affordable resources to hand out um, this Christmas, as well as, as David's new devotional and, um, and many other great things on sale right now through the end of November. So with that by introduction, uh, let me hand it over to David and Johnny. Johnny, was uh, Christmas something you always celebrated uh, in your home growing up? Uh, yeah, Christmas was uh, something we celebrated as a family. Uh, I was brought up in a Christian family, a missionary family, uh, where we served in Tanzania, East Africa, for the first seven years of my life. So it was a very simple Christmas, uh, but it was still something we celebrated and some Christmases we were home on furlough and uh, there was more festivities around those Christmases when we were back in the UK in Northern Ireland. And then when we returned to live in Northern Ireland, yeah, Christmas every year became a, a big thing. We would uh, go to church on Christmas morning and then all the families would come together. My father's side, uh, we would all get together with cousins and have a big meal on Christmas Day and uh, end the day watching James Bond or something like that or Star Wars. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Christmas was something that um, we celebrated, but I wouldn't say it was done overly well. Um, and we can maybe get into some of that. But yeah, it was definitely a, a day that we knew Christ was born. Uh, but there's a good bit of Santa thrown in there as well. So, uh, What about you, David? Uh, what was Christmas like for you growing up? I grew up in South Carolina, uh, Southern Baptist. And uh, my parents, I think they celebrated Christmas really well. I have so many good memories of Christmas. And <laughs> perhaps that's why here I am all these years later, loving the Advent season and Christmas season enough to do meditations on it and put together a book on it. Because I, it, it was a, a high time for us. I, I, don't rem I don't have any bad memories of Christmas growing up. Uh, I think as I've grown older, I'm able to see through the layers more and I'm, I'm on no campaign against Santa or Frosty yeah. or Rudolph, yeah. but as a dad, I want to be really intentional that those things aren't at the center and they don't encroach <laughs> yeah. on the center. And, uh, but I'm, I've, uh, I have, I have loved the distinctiveness of the month of December, whether that was growing up in South Carolina, how my parents made it special. I mean, they, 
they did a great job going over the top and uh, yeah. doing gifts. And we spent time with grandparents. We had grandparents nearby for yeah. all of my childhood. And so we'd spend time with both sides. We'd have a family Christmas on, on Christmas Eve where we exchange gifts. And there was typically some part of, there was something the church was doing uh, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day around there, some kind of special service with choir music and candlelight and, and, and that sort of thing. And oh, here's, here's one memory. Uh, for Christmas, my mom would always make a big chocolate chip cookie. You know, these like these birthday chocolate, the whole thing. You cut it up like a pizza. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's cheesy, but it made the point. Like it was happy birthday, Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we always had the happy birthday, Jesus cookie, you know, at the center of our <laughs> of our Christmas. And even though, I mean, as a kid, you know, Santa loomed large for the gifts that were coming from yeah. Santa. But that was an important placeholder. And yeah. uh, and 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 we also did some Advent wreaths. We would we would light candles on the weekends, even mm-hmm. though our home church didn't spend a lot of emphasis on those Advent Sundays leading up. We did some of that in our home. Yeah. And that uh, that kind of was a springboard for me in going into adulthood and wanting to make more of that Advent season. Yeah. So the big question is, uh, did Santa get any of Jesus's cookie? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I think Santa would always eat something else. I don't remember <laughs> leaving out some of Jesus' cookie for Santa. I think I think those cookies that Mom made, they were so good that the six of us consumed that thing pretty easy. <laughs> right. Very good. Very good. Yeah, we were the same. It was um, it was always a very happy occasion. Um, uh, but we didn't really do Advent. We uh, we did Christmas Day. We'd go to church as a family. But it was just, it was more a kid's talk in the morning. I just went to an independent evangelical church. It was a very stripped back service. And uh, which would be a kid's talk, really, for the kids and who would bring their toys to the front and uh, show uh, people what they'd got for Christmas. Um, so I, w- I wasn't really brought up in a tradition, I would say, that was really rich with Advent or Christmas. We'd sing some Christmas carols the Sunday or so before Christmas Day. Uh, but it's only in more recent years where I've started to actually really appreciate this uh, season of Advent. So uh, you've written a daily devotional uh, on not just not just for Christmas, but actually for the whole season of Advent. Do you want to just first help listeners understand what Advent actually is, how long it goes for, and why you think it's important to not just celebrate Christmas, but actually have the Advent season be a time of preparation for Christmas? Yes, Advent is a season of waiting before Christmas. And so, uh, I mean, back in the annals of church history, Advent is the fast before the feast of Christmas. And whereas maybe in our more modern culture where there's a lot of emphasis on Christmas Day and we kind of extend the whole of Christmas throughout December, uh, in church tradition, the there were the 12 days of Christmas, which we sing that silly song about. People don't know nowadays much what the 12 days of Christmas were. But the 12-day feast went from Christmas Day through Epiphany, January 6th. And leading up to that extended 12-day feast was the three, three and a half weeks of fasting before the feast, the season of waiting. And so Advent is the season of minor chords before the major chords of Christmas Day. You know, if, if Christmas Day is joy to the world, you know, Advent's, Advent's theme song is more like, more like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, where we, we rehearse with God's people from centuries ago what it was like to wait for the Messiah. I mean, uh, you can go back to Genesis 3 and the promise of the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent. But then even back to King David, that's a thousand years before Jesus came that King David is receiving those promises about this great heir to come, this great anointed one, singularly anointed. And then Isaiah, we, we read Isaiah at Christmas. Isaiah is so clear about this anointed one that is coming, this child that will be born. And that's seven centuries before Jesus came. And then even Malachi, you know, at the end of the Old Testament, four centuries. So God came about this thing with such remarkable patience. He overturned <laughs> the wisdom and ways of us humans in just how patient he was in allowing history to unfold and bringing this climax of all history in his son. And so one thing we do in Advent, among many things, is, is we practice that habit of waiting. We cultivate mm-hmm. patience. We wait on the coming of Messiah with God's people throughout history. And in doing so, there are 
there are joys and spiritual graces to us in that season of waiting, and there's an accenting of the feast. The feast is all the more glorious. The major chords sound all the better. The joys of Christmas are all the deeper and richer because of the fasting, the waiting that comes beforehand. And so uh, Advent, to, to define it more clearly, four Sundays before Christmas. So it's typically, you know, three, three and a half weeks coming up to Christmas. Uh, it's it's often, you know, it, it's, a, it's the end of November, early December when it begins, that fourth Sunday before Christmas. And so I just started the book on December 1 since it changes every year. So you can, just, that's where the readings begin, December 1, yeah. and go through the 24th and kind of try to cover that, that Advent period. Yeah. I like the distinction there between the, the waiting and the coming. I mean, Advent means the coming of Christ, but it's really a season of waiting for his coming. Right. And then there's his coming and epiphany, meaning the, the appearing, the appearance of the Christ. Um, I think that those three distinctions are really nice. And as, as I said, I wasn't brought up with it. And so I always thought Advent was for the Catholics, the high church Anglicans. Um, but as I've started to get into the Reformed tradition a bit more, I've realized that actually there's quite a diversity, even amongst Reformed churches in the 16th, 17th century. Some of them did actually follow the church calendar and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, kept Advent, so to speak. Um, the thing I like about what you said there was two things. One came to mind was uh, a quote from an old Bible uh, teacher that my mother sat under in Liverpool, where she's from. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, God moved with majestic leisureliness through the mm. Old Testament. He did. Uh, beautiful he did. phrase, majestic leisureliness. He was never oh. in a rush. And uh, I've always been struck that Jesus is never spoken of as running anywhere. He's, no. He always walks, you know. That's right. But I, I thought that sort of captured what your point was, that there's this waiting period. And perhaps in our modern culture, we, we, we can't stand waiting. We... We get frustrated when someone hasn't replied the text message within three mm. seconds. You know? oh, that's right. And uh, so that it's a nice discipline, isn't it, to have that that waiting period? But it is. You know, uh, maybe one thing to yeah. what I want to cultivate here uh, is in the hurricane of December. Yeah. I mean, all the rush, all the yeah. hurry, <laughs> all the distractions of December, uh, that there would be a, an eye of the hurricane. <laughs> There's a there's a song at the end of the Hamilton musical about being in the eye of the hurricane, and uh, I think that'd be a, that it's a good image for Christians mm. as they come into December, and it's it's the most distinctive month of the year culturally, which mm. is both an opportunity for us as Christians, and it's a there, there's there's combat there. That that is a it's a diversion, a distraction. There's competition for our attention and for us to to live our Advent on the world's terms rather than on biblical terms, and so. Uh, that, that's what I want to help people think about and come mm -hmm. to the Advent season thinking, I'm not going to let the clock of my soul be set by the pace of my society. Mm -hmm. I want to set my clock to the God who moves leisurely. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope that's one thing that, that will happen here. And the, a kind of eye of the hurricane for us as we live mm -hmm. with sober mindedness and intentionality in this run up to Christmas. Yeah, and I think a, a book that encourages meditation and uh, pondering on these great truths of the coming of Christ in the incarnation uh, is, is a really helpful way to get in the eye of the hurricane right. and settle down and calm down and remember what this season is all about. Um, well, the big question then is, is uh, you're a pastor of a church and uh, a Christian husband and father. Uh, do you read nativity passages before Christmas? Do you sing carols early December or do you sing more Advent hymns? I've started to appreciate there's a distinction. Mm. You know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is really a song for Christmas morning. Right. No. Uh, whereas O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song for Advent. So That's do right. you, as a family and as a pastor, do you try and have that kind of distinction in liturgy reading, in your liturgy at home or in church with readings with singing yeah this is something that we are growing in as a church and uh so with each year i think maybe uh the previous year informs us and perhaps we move another degree uh back toward how christians have have done this over, over the long term so i'm not on a personal crusade 
to implement a, a really strong framework that others have to do it that way. And, yeah. uh, and, it, and, and same as our church, but, but we're learning from the church tradition. And I think every year we like it a little bit more <laughs> in, in terms yeah. of thinking, all right, not just, not just Christmas day. We like this pattern of, you know, three and a half weeks of meditative, careful, reflective preparation, uh, waiting, you know, feasting before the fasting before the feasting, and then extending that that Christmas. I mean, it, it's unusual to do that. I, I don't know that somebody can just you know do it well one year yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. And so we, we kind of see ourselves in the process of that. Uh, one of the ways that we do it as a church that's that's pretty conspicuous is we change our corporate call to worship throughout the various seasons of the church calendar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so our Advent call to worship is, uh, oh, what's the Advent? <laughs> it's been a year since, I know the Christmas one. The Christmas <laughs> one is Christ has come. Oh, yeah. And the congregation says Christ will come again. And so mm-hmm. in that way, we're, nice. you know, we're celebrating the Christmas season of he's come. And yes. before Advent, you know, during the Advent season, we're kind of, we're waiting on the coming. We're rehearsing. Yeah. The uh, the time where God's people waited for God Himself yeah. to come in the yeah. person of His Son, and so we do that a little bit as as a family. Uh, well, I've got young kids. So, mm-hmm. uh, last year, the way we did it is we had a verse each day, and just mm-hmm. kind of set up a verse each day that were about the coming of Christ or about the person of Christ. So, kind of a Christological focus. Yeah. Whereas maybe there's a little more soteriological focus around the Easter time, kind of on the work yeah. of Christ. And yeah. thinking of, of Christmas as a time to focus on the person of Christ. And yeah. so texts like Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, mm-hmm. or uh, the big Colossians 1, 1 to 15, Colossians 2, 9, Philippians 2, 5 to 9. Some of those, some of those texts are real strong Christological texts. Yeah. John 1, 14. John yeah. 1, 1 to 3. And uh, we would take a verse a day. I'd read it to the, to the kids. And I'd give them daddy's. 30 to 60 second explanation of why this text is important and awesome. And then we'd yeah. all eat a chocolate together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, and then we'd hold it up. We'd hold up the chocolate and say, Christ has come. And we say, yeah. Christ has come again, eat the chocolate. So that was my effort to try to engage the kids yeah. in kind of Advent season yeah. pattern. And we, and we'll talk about that at church. I mean, a, a significant thing for me, uh, it, when I moved to Minnesota in 03, I came to a church, Bethlehem Baptist, that was serious about Advent. I mean, yeah. uh, the services in December looked different. Yeah. Piper yeah. would write an Advent poem. That's <laughs> it was right. Amazing. Yes. He wrote these that. Advent poems. Yeah. And he would get up and read this long poem. And then mm-hmm. one of the, the kids of the church would have like a, a white gown on and would walk down with the candle, with the fire, and then light the Advent candle. So it was, it was a big deal yeah. in our services. Yeah. And, and that had a shaping effect on me. And we, we do something similar. None of us at our church uh, write Advent poems, but we do have one of the children of the church proceed down. The congregation is silent and still. Mm-hmm. We watch the light come. The candle is lit. You know, we change the call to worship. And uh, I think over time, there's been more of the Advent songs uh, throughout December mm-hmm. and then really celebrating with the, the major keys, the Hark the Herald Angels, the yeah. Joy to the World. Uh, in that 12-day period from Christmas Day through January 6th. Yeah, I think it's very rich. I've started to appreciate it a lot more, you know, singing Advent hymns like uh, Behold a Rose Air Blooming, mm. 1599 German hymn, wow. and it takes you through Isaiah's prophecy of a rose, a tree, a branch that would grow, and then it finally gets to Christ with Mary and uh, the, these Advent hymns are actually very rich and they're for a certain time, mm-hmm. you know, to be sung before Christmas and then the Christmas hymns sung actually at Christmas or at least around uh, that Christmas week. Um, so the, the question I wanted to ask then is, uh, do you keep epiphany? Because uh, the reason I ask is my son, I, I'm a Reformed Presbyterian, I would probably say a high church Presbyterian because I like keeping certain seasons like Advent and Christmas. Uh, my son goes to a Reformed Episcopal school, and so mm. they have to attend Epiphany Sunday as part of their school um, calendar. And I started to really appreciate this, that actually the tradition I was brought up in, and this is what I meant earlier when I said I didn't think we did Christmas overly well. My family did it well. It was always a happy time. But 
Boxing Day it was over. Mm, it was, yeah, it was done. Right. We were we were done. It was like right New Year and then Easter's the next thing. But this school tradition that my son's and it's just sort of helped me appreciate that if we really believe in Advent is the the waiting of for the coming and Christmas is the coming. Well, then why not have two more Sundays on the appearing? Mm-hmm. And that's when you would read the nativity passages and you'd really reflect then on the incarnation and the wonder that God has become flesh in Christ. Do, do you do that with family or church, the epiphany season, these 12 days of Christmas? We are, we are growing in that as a, as a church. So that, that is something we are doing as a church in, in marking that, like we distinctively have, and people <laughs> have said how strange it is, you know, to come to church on December 28th or 29th or yeah. January 2nd, like you guys are singing Christmas songs. Like we're yeah. just supposed to shut that down on the 25th. And we're like, no, no, no. Like this is the time, like those songs are written for, for the 12 day period here. Yeah. And uh, it, actually you mentioned earlier about the, uh, about the Catholic church. And as you said that, that kind of unrolled a layer in my mind of why I would be such a strange person and do an Advent book, I went to Catholic school growing up. <laughs> yeah, right. So I hope, hope your Reformed listeners don't hold that against me. I was, I'm, I was a happy Baptist the whole time, and I'm happily yeah, yeah. Reformed. But uh, that, that shaped me. In fact, you know that we, like, we talked about Epiphany. Like from the time mm-hmm. I was a little kid, yeah. I heard from the Catholics at school yeah. about Epiphany, and we talked yeah. about the Magi coming, and we we marked that, and, and we, we, we kind of distinguished, we celebrated the, uh, right around Christmas, we'd mention the shepherds and probably do mm-hmm. Luke's narrative, and then we'd hold off on Matthew's narrative to be celebrated closer to the, to the six, you know, to the epiphany, yeah. and uh, so that, that may have shaped me early on, too, you know, spring-loaded me for when I came yeah. to Bethlehem, and we started making yeah. much of Advent uh, to, for some of that to, to be drawn out, so uh, I, I do think culturally, uh, we are so impatient mm-hmm. um, that it, you, we turn the corner at Thanksgiving, and then it's like, well, let's just let's just enjoy all the Christmas goodies right now. Like, you know, yeah. get the Frost cartoon on and all the Santa Claus movies, and so we're just we're trying to pound all of the Christmas joy into the early part of the season there. Yeah. And a lot of us are just tired out. We, yeah. We're done with Christmas by about what December 15 or 17 or 18 and I, I do like this this pattern I want, want to cultivate this more and more of all right let, let's go through this spiritual discipline this rhythm of waiting and patience and uh, and as we wait on the coming of Christmas our enjoyment of it's going to be all the greater in that season of those those 12 days yeah and you know in the tradition I'm now in the Reformed Presbyterian, you know, there's some who would say you don't celebrate any of these feast days or holy holy days. Um, and that's fine. I actually have respect for people who say, right, we just don't do Christmas. It's more the people who say, well, we yeah, we have a Christmas sermon and yeah, we'll, we'll sing some carols, but that's all we do. We don't, we don't want to get into it. And part of me thinks, well, no, if you're either in it or you're not, you know, and I think if you're, if you're going to do it, which most people do, most people, most churches, do have a Christmas service. And my view is, well, if you're going to do it, do it well. Do Advent and preach Old Testament passages of the coming of Christ and sing Advent hymns, and then Christmas Day will be richer. And then why not spend two more weeks preaching through the Nativity passages where, you know, you can really unpack the the uh, in riches of the incarnation and the appearing of Christ. So, I think what I've learned is that um, there's a way to do it that really enriches it, you know, rather than mm-hmm. just do it piecemeal. Uh, and uh, actually starting to read more of the reform liturgies, you see that actually more of the reformers did the church calendar than we realized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Danny Hyde's article um, mm. called Not Holy But Helpful. Mm, a interesting. For the evangelical feast days in the reform tradition. Huh. So perhaps for the listeners out there, you can Google it. It's it's online. Uh, not holy, but helpful. And he basically shows that there were these five evangelical feast days, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, Ascension and Pentecost. And uh, there was a diversity of practice and um, uh, uh, in the Reformed tradition of keeping some of those days. 
And uh, it sort of helps you see that it's not actually the Catholics who have it all. It's actually some of the reformers have, uh, have followed these. Uh, now, before we get on to your book, David, do you, what, what do you do for Easter? And do you keep Ascension and Pentecost? Are those in your church calendar or family devotions? Yeah, I guess I guess the full disclosure would be uh, Christmas and Easter and Good Friday, Holy Week, Advent. We do those uh, really well. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of emphasis there. I think uh, it's it's growing in how we how we do how we integrate Epiphany, yeah. Ascension, and then Pentecost. I think probably Pentecost is the one who's gotten the least attention in our church, yeah. in our yeah. family. Maybe maybe Ascension after Easter. Uh, and Good Friday, maybe Ascension would then would would be next, and then Epiphany, and then and then, then yes. Pentecost, the least at this point. But yeah. uh, but I, I do love that that pattern. One thing, another thing I picked up at Bethlehem is uh, Bethlehem was really serious about Holy Week, which mm-hmm. was awesome. And and we try to do that as well. That that there's some mention on that Sunday. I don't know that we've done the kids with the palm branches, but on yeah. Palm Sunday, usually some mention there. We'll have yeah. some. Uh, we'll use make some devotional literature kind of available to the congregation, yeah. and uh, in- encourage people to to make it a week of uh, extra meditation and, and thoughtfulness yeah. if, if they if they choose to do so. And uh, and then we often had a either a Monday Thursday service or a Good Friday service, and uh, and then celebrate well on on Easter. And th- there's a similar pattern there. There's a there's yeah. a uh, a Holy Week leading up to that Easter Sunday. And, and in some sense, you know, back of the whole thing out, some people celebrate Lent leading all the way up yes. to the Holy Week and, yeah. and Easter Sunday. Yes. But there's a similar pattern there in terms of anticipating the feast. Yes, yes. And, you know, as Christians, uh, we celebrate the Lord's incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost every Sunday. Yes. You know, every Lord's Day, that's what we're celebrating, the gospel. Uh, but just like we would do a sermon series on the incarnation or a sermon series on the life of Christ or the death of Christ or the resurrection or the ascension. You know, I think it's helpful to have seasons and times in a church calendar where you focus on these. And I think it can be helpful to just acknowledge that, you know, there is this church calendar and we all, most churches, as I said, do at least a sermon on Easter Sunday about the resurrection or Christmas. So uh, it's, it's not a bad thing to realize. Actually, you could educate your church and inform your people well around that time when everyone's talking about Easter or Christmas on the great doctrine of the incarnation or the resurrection. So it's, it's a time for catechesis really as well. It's a time to really inform the church uh, as a pastor and uh, build up the congregation about great doctrinal truths, which you can connect to certain seasons in the year. That's right. Yeah, there's been uh, some years where uh, I mean, we just had a we set December aside for an Advent series, and mm-hmm. and uh, so we did this a few years ago. We did, went through Luke one and two, just did a short four week exegetical series through Luke one and two, leading up to Christmas. And there's been other times where you know we're finishing the series of the fall. So right now we're getting close to the end of Second Timothy. <laughs> I get to preach on the preach the word passage yesterday. Yeah. So we yeah. got one more left in Second Timothy, and then we're scheduled to have Titus, and I think that goes up to Christmas. And so what we'll do is uh, we'll think through how to, in the exposition of Titus, which for this year we've got it running through December, how we're going to accent some of those themes. And there's yeah. other parts of the service too. I mean, we we do a yeah. little section that we call the exhortation early uh-huh. in the service, where yeah. uh, somebody comes up and they one of the one of the elders or one of the pastors in training will will give an exhortation to the congregation mm. and those are often times to really accent what's going on uh, in the church life without yeah. giving the whole of the sermon to it yeah. and you know, we can keep the sermon on the exposition series and then the mm. exhortation can be really flexible to kind of speak into the moment of the the life of the church or the or the culture yeah that's nice i always like to think of the church service the canvas of the church service is bigger, larger than the canvas of the sermon. Yes, yes. Whereas church services where everything's about the sermon, the opening call to worship, the opening hymn, every hymn before the sermon, the hymn after, it's all about the sermon, the sermon. It just lacks a diversity and a richness and a breadth. um, And it just becomes all very samey, you know, Uh, whereas actually if you can have Old Testament readings that aren't necessarily 
um, connect to the sermon. They're just you're reading through the Old Testament or you're singing hymns about creation and the Trinity at the, at the beginning that's not actually about the sermon. It still just shows you that God's bigger than just this one passage uh, that yeah, you're looking right. at, you know. Um, okay, yeah, it's, well, all, it's all the context of corporate worship. I and mean, I think it's uh, yeah. without minimizing at all the importance of the preached word, yeah. You know, for us as a as a pastor, as as the preacher, to bring the kind of but honesty and humility to it that this is in the context of corporate worship, and we're all yeah. walking through this together. This yeah. is not just hey, oh, I'm here for my 30 minute sermon. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what really matters. But but the whole service together, this is what we are leading in as pastors and as God's people in in coming to worship. Yeah, and it helps people stop thinking that really you're here for a Bible talk and there's a wee bit of singing and a prayer before it. Mm, so right. we're just we're here for the Bible talk. Yeah, I'm always struck that, yeah, I'm always struck that Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, in writing the Book of Common Prayer, called it the service of the word, not the service of the sermon. Mm. There was more word parts to it than just the sermon. There was Bible readings, the gospel reading, the uh, epistle reading, and then there was the sermon. Yes. So it was the service of the word, not just the service of the sermon. So, uh, That's good. Yeah, we like to think through that dynamic of in corporate worship, we as a people hear from God and we respond back to God. There's this this relationship, this interaction that like we hear from him in his word and we respond back in our prayers. Yeah. In our singing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get on to this book, a delightful little book you've written called The, the Christmas We Didn't Expect. Um, did you... Uh, put that title in because of COVID 2020, or is this a title that you already had in mind? Well, uh, actually, I mean, this is a title we had a year ago when, when, when COVID was very unexpected. I, uh, the good book company noticed that, uh, I had a particular fancy for Advent and that I would write these Advent meditations each year at Desiring God. And so they, they approached me and said, Hey, you know, we were doing an Advent. We like to do Advent books. And would you do our Advent book for 2020? This is a few years ago. And uh, so in thinking through, I was like, all right, do, do, I gotta, do I have enough to say for 24 days of meditations? You know, is, is it going to get old? And so I started reviewing some of the, the meditations I'd done in the past on Advent or some Christmas sermons, just thinking what was there. And I noticed this word jumped out at me that I had used over and over in these meditations about unexpected. And so I thought, you know what, maybe that's, that's what holds this together for me. Uh, one thing that God has impressed on me in my situation, scenario, whatever it is over the years, is how unexpected the whole thing is. Like an unwed mother. <laughs> you don't expect that. I mean, the blue-collar shepherd's coming. Magi. Like we get a word magic from the magi. I mean, pagan astrologers coming while the, the religious dignitaries in Jerusalem don't make the relatively short five-mile journey down to see the one that they think is the fulfillment of Isaiah or the Micah prophecy. At least they say that to Herod. So yeah. there are so many unexpected dynamics. And I thought, you know what? That probably holds it together for me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I offered this up as a, a possibility, the Christmas we didn't expect. And the Good Book Company said, oh, yeah, they, they were willing to work, work with me on that. So that was decided, I think, back in 2019. And I don't know when it when it was sometime long about the spring or summer uh, when I realized, you know what, uh, yeah, this is probably going to be an unusual Christmas, a, an unexpected yeah. Christmas. And so maybe there's a there's some overlap there. And maybe this is uh, maybe this would be a good year to emphasize and to rehearse that theme of how unexpected the whole thing was, as some of us maybe go through a Christmas that that we weren't expecting, at least as of last year. Or at least a Christmas that's unusual from what we've grown accustomed to during the course of our lives. Yeah. Well, look, even as a cessationist, I'm prepared to say that it was somewhat prophetic for you <laughs> to uh, come up with a title like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that about the book. You you have this theme of unexpectedness, surprise uh, that goes through the an unexpected birth, and then you have three chapters: the unexpected child, three chapters unexpected news, unexpected guests, unexpected time, unexpected joy, our unexpected part, and that unexpected day. So I think it's really helpful, sort of unifying theme there. And then you uh, you group uh, different um, 
parts together. Uh, the other thing struck me was um, you've been very thoughtful to ordinary Christians living busy lives. It's just five pages, uh, a chapter with a nice short prayer at the end, uh, which I thought was, uh, was really helpful. Um, I don't know if you know the story of uh, Winston Churchill, who got up to speak and he said uh, he spoke for 40 minutes and he said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I've spoken for so long. Um, I uh, didn't have much time to prepare a exactly. shorter message. Yep. Um, so what was this like writing for you? Are you uh, naturally a pithy, um, short writer? Can you keep things short or are you verbose and it takes quite a while to edit it down to five pages a chapter? Yeah, Johnny, maybe you've got a similar, similar experience to me, but the older I get, the harder it is to keep it short. Yeah. And so I am, I, you know, one sermon after another, I am, you know, I was thinking, all right, this one's going to be 2,500 words. And the next thing I do, I look up and it's 3,300. And the hardest work is the cutting. And so nowadays when I sit down to write, it is often in a, in a 12 at least or 1,500 word arc. And maybe my editor buddies here at Desiring God would say only 1,500, usually writing 2,200. So, so the hardest work uh, was paring it down. And, and my editor, Rachel, at the Good Book Company, she was really good. Like, we're going to keep all these under a thousand words. You know, <laughs> a lot of these are close to 900 words. And so yeah. uh, she kept pressing me to shorten, to shorten. She helped yeah. shorten some yeah. of them. And I think at the end, I mean, that that is the hardest word. I really resonate with Churchill's yeah. statement. Yeah. And, and when I talk to guys about preaching, uh, which I got to go here in a few minutes and help out with a preaching class, that's one of the things I love emphasizing is guys – you have been through seminary. The longer you read the Bible, the longer you think about issues, it is very easy to talk for 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to talk for only 25. Mm -hmm. And let's put in the extra work. Let's keep challenging each other on this. Um, and there are also times to just teach for a long time in, in the appropriate yeah. setting. But yeah. but I really do resonate with the Churchill quote. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think it's 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 a really helpful book that um, – any Christian can pick up and read and enjoy it and not feel uh, overwhelmed by it. It's uh, it's very deep and you go into some very profound aspects of the coming of Christ and the incarnation. Uh, and yet you've done a really good job of uh, keeping it short, or at least Rachel helped you. Uh, That's right. She did. It yeah. It's like my wife and I'm preaching, you know, she listens, she says, nah, about 10 minutes too long. I could have taken it out. And I always say, yeah, but the 10 minutes were the best bit. The extra 10 minutes were the best <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to I tell the so. <laughs> I try to tell guys in the preaching class, uh, you want to finish about five minutes shorter than expected. And so it'd be so good if, if the audience is thinking, Oh, I want more. Can't wait till next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Yeah. That is so hard. It yeah. that's really difficult. Those cuts are challenging. Yeah. yeah. Now uh, you have in here um unexpected joy, which is Yes. No, not unexpected since you work for Desiring God and have been influenced by John Piper, uh, who is all about joy and Christian hedonism. Uh, but what I did like is you within that section, Unexpected Joy, you had a chapter called Christmas Doesn't Ignore Your Pain. And uh, Christmas for many Christians, and it's the same in my family, uh, it's a time when somebody's not present. Right. Um, for us, it was, it's a daughter called Layla who very sadly died four years ago. And we put on our Christmas tree two little um, ornaments that say Layla. And it's it's our mm. time. She didn't die at Christmas. She died in the spring near Easter. Mm. But Christmas is actually the time, apart from the week of her death, where we remember her each year. But Christmas is actually a time, besides that week, that we feel the pain of her death the most. And uh, we love to sing O Come, Come, Emmanuel, uh, dispel the dark uh, night, dispel the death away yes. from the earth. I've just forgotten those words. But, um, yeah, I like that, that you put that into this book. So what is it you're trying to communicate to people in that chapter uh, about Christmas doesn't ignore your pain? Well, you know, there's uh, there's so many of the songs and and they're typically not Chris, Christmas songs, or Christian Christmas songs, but just secular songs about it's the most wonderful time. Yeah. You know, everything's all is merry and bright. And so culturally, there can be this impression 
that uh, that Christmas is just this comfortable, cozy, everything's bright, everything's happy. And in missing Advent, that may be there may be a relationship there in, in missing yes. Advent. And and that's part of the unexpected nature, especially for us as modern people, with the true Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, not all was merry and bright. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was it was a mess in some sense. I mean, an unwed mother in a small town. Can you imagine how that got around town? Can you imagine how crazy this was for Joseph, thinking mm-hmm. that his uh, fiance, who he's betrothed to, has been unfaithful, and then. The, just the disorientation of the census and having to go to Bethlehem with somebody who's on the cusp of having a child. And then the fact that there aren't the expected people coming to visit, and there's not room in some way. And so he's laid in a manger. I mean, from beginning to end, this is a very unusual time. There are pains involved here. One that really sticks out, I mean, the uh, the slaughter of the infants is, of course, the most horrific mm-hmm. and the worst aspect. And that seems to come along later through Herod, as you kind of put the timeline together when the Magi mm-hmm. uh, would have come. But even close to Christmas there in the Gospel of Luke, you have Simeon's prophecy mm-hmm. where I mean, he says to Mary with this beautiful child in her arms that a sword will pierce your soul also. And so for her to hear at that seemingly happy moment that her soul's going to be pierced. And then she thinks, wait, me also, he's going to be pierced. He came to die. And so, you know, we sing, what child is this? Nails, spear will pierce him through. Mm -hmm. And if we're taking our bearings from society, we may think, oh, no, 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 holly jolly Christmas. Like, let's not talk about nails and spear. Like, we can save that for Good Friday. We can save that for, for, for the Holy Week. But it belongs in Christmas. I mean, as, as a child, when I did not get this, I maybe what child is this was my least favorite song in December because all the adults are saying, what child is this? And, and I'm like, we all know what child it is. I didn't, <laughs> didn't understand rhetorical questions. And then it was so odd. Like, let's not let's not pierce the joy of Christmas with nails and spear and pain. But that is exactly why Christ came, because this is a world of pain, because this is a world of nails, a world of spears. And so when we have a pain that we bring to Christmas, uh, God's bringing us in from the right angle of approach. So if, if you're coming up on this this Christmas and it's it's COVID Christmas and there's going to be a loved one who's not there for the first time or if you're you know, like your situation, Johnny, thinking of Layla, and I think it's it's very appropriate time to rehearse those who aren't there with you. Christmas can handle that pain. Uh, I, that pain does not detract from what the season is. If anything, it makes it more real mm-hmm. because those are the kind of pains that Christ came to remedy, and he is coming back to finally vanish and yeah. vanquish. So uh, yeah. Christmas is yeah. an appropriate time. Don't hide your pain at Christmas. Yeah. Christmas yeah. can handle it. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really the tension, isn't it, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. Christmas, in many ways, is bittersweet for Christ. He's born to die. Um, but it's his second coming, which is triumphant, the resurrection of the dead, no more death, wipe away every tear. And we live between that, those two comings of Christ. And Christmas is the first coming, the Advent, and we're waiting for the second Advent, the parousia, the the coming of Christ, and we live between that with death's dark shadows. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the second verse, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Yes. And he yeah. comes and he does that himself in his first coming with his life, death, resurrection, ascension. Uh, but it's not yet for us. We're still living under death's dark shadows. But I think Christmas is the answer to those, as you said. It, it, it actually is the answer to our pain. And uh, therefore, we should embrace everything that Christmas is. Right. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said Christmas is the meaning behind everything. And in a sense, we can also say it's the answer to everything. Mm. Uh, in, the incarnation doesn't save us, but it is the beginning of our salvation in, in Christ's coming. And uh, right. so th- those are rich, uh, rich thoughts for us, um, David. Uh, is there any um, Christmas 
uh, carol or hymn that is one of your favorites that you think really captures advent hymn or season and then christmas for you well i mean i i don't know that in, in terms of my own conception of advent is season for waiting minor chords uh okomokomi manual captures it so well you know yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, it, it's almost like the paradigmatic advent song yeah uh, I do love Hark. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the chapters in the book celebrates Hark, you know, some of the theology in there, and actually stumbling upon a couple long lost verses uh-huh. <laughs> of Hark. Yeah. It, yeah. Charles Wesley's original had some extra verses that somewhere, as it was popularized, you know, got dropped. And then even this, you know, George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, did some revisions on Charles Wesley's original. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fascinating story. And so uh, I love the line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That's one of my, one of my favorite Christmas lines. Um, and then I, I mentioned from What Child Is This? Nail, spear will pierce him through. Um, that's one of my favorite lines to sing in Advent and at Christmas. Um, yeah. I think, I, I know where I worship, we sing good theology each week. It's good hymns that we sing the Psalms. Um, but there's something about the Christmas hymns. I always turn to my wife and say, there's something incredibly rich about this. I don't know if my senses are heightened because it's Christmas and I'm feeling festive and all of that, but there's something really quite profound, I think, about many of the Advent and Christmas carols that give us a really rich insight into the doctrine of the gospel and the mystery, um, the surprise, the unexpectedness of God becoming flesh Mm -hmm. uh, among us. I, I think it's really wonderful. So, um, you know, yeah. reflecting on that a little bit uh, here recently, and uh, in, in the prologue to the Gospel of John, like we think of the incarnation, and yet, you know, this is some of the highest theology in the New Testament. And the you know, word became flesh in 114. And then, you know, we get this statement at the end of verse 18 He has made the Father known. So, at Christmas, you know, in the coming of Christ, fully God, fully man, in one spectacular person, uh, we don't just get to know Jesus at Christmas. Like We get to know the Father. We get to know the Godhead as manifested in Jesus. He is making the Father known. And so there are profound angles of sight <laughs> into the very nature of who God is. It's not like, oh, God's one way, and by accident or concession, he did Christmas. But God is showing us himself for his people, those who are his by faith. We are seeing the heart of our Father on display in the gift of his Son at Christmas. Yeah. And so there, there is a, a world of life and theology in Christmas to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have a, a chapter at the very end. It's the epilogue called The Permanence of Christmas. It uh, took me back to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. where uh, before Aslan comes, they say it's it's always winter, never Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Aslan appears, and it's like it's Christmas, and it's now permanently Christmas because mm-hmm. Aslan has come. What is it you're trying to communicate in that chapter on the permanence of Christmas? I, it, that's about uh, the the ongoing incarnation. And uh, it, it can be very easy to think, if you haven't thought through it, and you haven't been informed by a, a few texts of Scripture, sometimes people may think, oh, you know, at the ascension that Jesus dropped his human body. So now he's, you know, he, now he's now God only in, back in heaven. But that's not the case. You know, Christ became human, and his humanity endures forever. It, it's an amazing thing that the second person Trinity, without emptying himself of any divinity— he didn't become any less God. He added humanity to his person, and forever he will be human like us. He has become our brother spectacularly. And so uh, now there, he has now a glorified body. He has a transformed human body. But at God's right hand, wherever this is spatially, at God's right hand is man, fully God and fully man. And the destiny that it speaks to for us as humans. Isn't it, I mean, angels long to look in these things. You know, the second person of the Trinity didn't become an angel to save angels. Mm-hmm. He became a human to save humans. And his body, he rose again bodily, and his body has been glorified. And that's the glorious body that we too will one day have, according to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And so that chapter is just a celebration of the ongoing humanity 
of Christ. Yeah, uh, as I was reading it, I thought of the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns in the Line. Uh, those wounds yet visible yes. above in beauty glorified. And I thought yeah. that really captured what you were yes. getting at was we will see the scars of Christ's uh, body in heaven, but they will be uh, in beauty glorified. But they, we will still see them and know mm -hmm. why they're there, you know. So that is my I think that's my favorite all time hymn, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, that's a that's a nice uh, point to maybe start to bring this to a close. I, I think this is a wonderful book, David. I hope it is read widely um, uh, by Christians, by families, by individuals. Uh, it's called the, the Christmas We Didn't Expect. And if you're listening, I would um, <clears throat> really encourage you to get a hold of it and uh, enjoy this Advent season through UIs this year, especially in the middle of uh, COVID 2020. Um, David, I wanted to ask, have you uh, any more books in the pipeline that you uh, hope to write in the future? Yes, I'm uh, working on one now, due at the end of the year, uh, on eldership. Uh, this has been my assignment now for about 10 years at Bethlehem College and Seminary. I teach the, uh, the eldership class. <laughs> and, uh, and one thing I found really helpful over the years is how illuminating it can be to take those qualifications from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 with utter seriousness as not only the requisites of what elders need to become elders, pastors, but also the kind of person you need to be day in and day out to do the work as assigned. So I, I think there are worlds to be seen in those qualifications. You know, in one sense, they're, they're ad hoc and the list is incomplete, but in another sense, uh, Paul's not just writing these off the cuff. <laughs> the overlap in the lists, he really means it. And these these attributes, these character attributes are significant in the everyday work of eldering. And so I'm kind of organizing a book on eldering in light of the, the qualifications, really making the most of the qualifications as lenses into the task of, of eldering. And then uh, eventually, this is for a couple years from now, uh, the Good Book Company seemed happy with how the Advent book turned out, and so we're working on a Lent book mm -hmm. for, yeah. uh, I think, is that for Lent 2022? Okay. So uh, a yeah. year and a half or so from now, I'll, I'll, I'll start working on that in the spring and, and try to get that together, and that one will be more fo focused on the work of Christ. So whether whereas this one is yeah. more on the person of Christ, Christology, that one will be more focused on the work of Christ. Yeah. Well, we look forward to both of those coming out, Lord willing, in due course. And uh, wish you God's richest blessings on your reading and writing. Thank you, brother. Uh, also, in your ministry at Desiring God, I know I benefit greatly from reading the blogs and listening to some of the podcasts that you put out. And uh, we can only encourage you as a ministry to keep doing it because I know many, many people are blessed by it across the world. So thank mm -hmm. you.